That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, we're here recording on Valentine's Day, Jake. So this is for the last Sunday after the Epiphany the Sunday where we, it's not the Feast of the Transfiguration, but we read about the Transfiguration. And I think it's fitting that we're recording this on Valentine's Day because uh, you have never looked more transfigured than you do mm. right now. Mm. You're going to go take Melina out for some... Thank you. Thank uh, you. It's um, some, some some of New York's best right. Sabaro pizza tonight. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Absolutely. No, only the best. We're going to Bravo. <laughs> Manhattan's so, finest. Um, Excellent. Is that Bravo with an free, exclamation you, point? Uh, it is. It is. And uh, it's actually one of the few places you can get a free refill on your Diet Coke. Mm. So, uh, Nothing says authenticity yeah. <laughs> like an exclamation point at the end of the restaurant's name. That's right. We're and free Diet Coke. Exciting. So, yep. um, just like the Italians. Yep. Good. Well, uh, otherwise you're doing okay. You've you've uh, fulfilled all righteousness here. Yeah, you know, met my therapist. Things are trucking along. So, uh, and you, how are things in lush Waco? Uh, they're pretty lush, actually. We've had a lot of rain, uh, and uh, we're trying to finish a big construction project at St. Albans. So, if any of uh, you folks out there are looking to just unload some cash that's weighing you down and troubling your conscience. You got it in some ill-gotten way, some uh, questionable means, and you just need to get rid of it. Please send it to St. Albans, Waco, Texas. Mm, and, uh, that's but, great. Uh, no, everything's everything's going all right. It is pretty lush Good. here. You know, the New York Times once ran a story about Ken Starr, the former president of Baylor University mm-hmm. and independent counsel in the Clinton administration, and it was all about his time in Waco, and they referred to Waco as Dusty Waco. And I'm not the kind of guy that writes a strongly worded letter to the editor, but I thought about it because <laughs> I, w- I felt maligned. It's very green. We have a river. Well, we have trees. Everybody knows the New York Times is fake news. <laughs> but anyway. Just... <laughs> so, but uh, here, but True the one thing that is not. colors shining through. <laughs> we, uh, we are not pitching fake news here on Same Old Song. We're pitching the good news. And yeah. so, and today is the last Sunday the text that we're dealing with are the uh, text for the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Yeah. We have Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. We also have 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. And then Matthew's account of the transfiguration, which is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And so we are here, and uh, basically we've been looking in this season about uh, the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah and uh, the Savior of not only the Jews, Jewish people, but the savior of the whole world. And we begin with um, Exodus chapter 24 and Moses dealing with this first covenant. What do you want to say about that, uh, um, Aaron? He goes up on a mountain just like Jesus. He does. I mean, I think uh, the, the themes of Epiphany have been light, 
gen like the light is coming to the Gentiles. Jesus is the light, and so you know this last Sunday uh, after the Epiphany, right before we head into Lent, it's sort of this the shiniest moment of Jesus's ministry. Um, everything mm. leading to this. Um, huge Roman candle, a, a, a meteor blazing across the sky, a huge fireworks display, like all of it. And so the reading in, it, it's sort of amazing the amount to which these readings are really tied together, obviously intentionally so. So the Exodus reading is the first giving of the law. It's God on a mountain with a human being and uh, and a message being given. Uh, and then the other reading is going to be about when Peter saw God on a mountain and a message was given, and then you get the story in Matthew of that actual event happening. But in the mm. Exodus reading, you know, you've got, you have you get a clear, I mean, they sort of tee it up for you really well here, in my opinion, kind of the contrast between the law and the gospel with all these different readings. So you get in Exodus 24, Yahweh giving to Moses the tablets, the law, uh, and uh, he he goes up with Joshua up to the up Mount Sinai to get these uh, tablets, and um, the things that you can point at. Is, so this is the holy, good, and true revelation of God. But visually, what it looks like is a cloud covering the mountain and um, f- devouring fire. So it's not a peaceful, tranquil sort of scene. It's a little bit scary, uh, terrifying, actually, which is what the scriptures tell us elsewhere. Um, and so this is the giving of the law, meaning a demand. And um, it's it's kind of visually represented by, by darkness and fire. So um, there's kind of a fear there. And I think you're supposed to see the contrast between this and ultimately what's coming in the New Testament. I think if you're going to preach this Sunday, I, it would be a Sunday where you are actually sort of supposed to preach how all the passages connect. So yeah, that's um, right. I, in terms that's of just right. preaching this passage, you would just be like, well, the law came and it was scary. Amen. Like that that's not a good place to leave your people. Would you say anything <laughs> yeah. else about this, Jacob? No, I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, this is a day when all the texts need to be uh, to be preached on, and you know, and Moses is going up. And if you read Exodus chapter 24 in its entirety, this is a terrifying moment um, to encounter God on the mountain with a cloud, and all of this is um, is a terrifying moment. And so, but uh, Moses goes up and is um, given the law here, and uh, this is a this is a big deal, and so. But this isn't where it stops. And I think, you know, Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Awesome. It's what um, happens after that and everything that we are driving to. The law is not the finishing place. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, one thing you can't talk about here is the fact that this is not for everybody, but there will definitely be some people in your congregation that this, that their, their early experiences of God were like this, not necessarily on a mountain with fire and smoke, but God as being something a little bit scary, uh, kind of hard to understand far away. I mean, the idea of a cloud, cloud is by nature sort of hard to pin down, right? Uh, as the as the nuns sing about Maria, how do you catch a cloud and pin it down uh, in The mm. Sound of Music? The, it's something that the boundaries are diffuse. It's just, it's mysterious. There's So there's, there's that. And then of course, devouring fire. I mean, that's scary as, you know, fire on the mountain. Well, I think, I think this is something though, you know, that I think we need to recapture even in the church. And uh, just some, one of the things that we've lost in American pragmatism is the um, 
is the terrifying nature of God. And, uh, you know, we have such a pragmatic view of God, like God is nice, you know, God is, God works for me kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that you read in Exodus is that idea is completely uh, should be popped. You know, the fact is, is that um, the people of Israel were terrified of God and everybody who encountered God was completely terrified. This is one of the reasons Moses goes up is he functions as a mediator. And, uh, and uh, this is before the law, before the God, sovereign God of the universe, without a mediator, it is, he is terrifying. Mm. And uh, this is one of the things that comes across. And uh, something I think that needs to be slightly recaptured once again in order to understand the profundity of the gospel right. is um, that uh, God on his own, you, you should be scared of him. Um, you know, just the God of like looking up into the sky, the God of nature, uh, that is, that's a terrifying proposition. And, uh, and this is uh, kind of, you know, one of the things, the themes that comes out at, uh, in the book of Exodus. Yeah. Uh, you, especially Jake, should be terrified of God mm. just based on your, mm -hmm. your eating habits. Uh, no, it's a, a lot of people do think that's what God cares about. They think that God cares about that. They think God's really interested in their love life. Like most of their prayers are like about that kind of stuff. And, um, and I yeah. think as you said, this kind of big, uh, transcendent, mysterious God, uh, -huh. uh is, is a view that we should recapture. And this is, this is God's, this is God's choice of how God wants to reveal himself to yeah. people is this way. So there is something we should take to it. But again, like I said, we don't stop here. Well, everything, but I mean, in everything to really, to, to really hammer home the point of this passage, this chapter is the, the, the meat of it is actually outside of it because this is where Moses comes down with the law and he takes half the blood um, they like sacrifice all of these animals and he takes half the blood and he puts it in a basin and he pours half of it against the altar. And then he takes the book of the covenant and in the hearing of the people, it says, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Bang, right here, this is law. You do not do the law. What happened to these animals will happen to you. Mm -hmm. Like that's like that's serious business. Uh, that isn't like, hey man, just do your best and God will do the rest. <laughs> we are talking blood. We're talking altars. The Judaism you encounter today most of the time is not like the Judaism of the Old Testament and is not the Judaism of the Bible. Uh, the Judaism of the Bible dealt with blood and it dealt with a God that needs to be appeased. Mm. And uh, this is at the root of Christianity. And so when they go up back into the clouds here, this is a terrifying thing because the people don't know what's going going to happen. Is Moses going into the clouds going to be eaten? Like, is it like, what's going to happen? So this, so when you're preaching this, all three passages together, preach the severity of what's happening. Preach the God that you just got to go by on instinct. The God who's unmediated that comes in hurricanes. The God who comes and uh, is in space and can be terrifying, you know, will suffocate you. This is like, this is what we're dealing with. And this is what the people of Israel are experiencing as Moses goes into the cloud. Yeah. And, and you can imagine them watching him going up in there and thinking he's about to get burnt to a crisp, sort of like the Nazis at the end mm -hmm. of Raiders of the Lost Ark, like he's going to melt. And uh, that's what it would, I mean, 
the fact that he doesn't, Moses is sort of almost reenacting his own calling when the bush is on fire but not burned mm. up. You know, like that's kind of a signal that God is a consuming fire, but he's also a merciful God that he burns, but he does not actually burn you up. And this is exactly, yeah. Moses now becomes that. He is going into the fire. He's not burned up. So even as the law and is given, there is a hint of mercy here. There, there's, yeah. This is not where the story ends. So all no. those things are happening. But if you were going to preach on this text and this text alone, then you need to tie it into uh, communion because uh, the blood that has been thrown on us uh, is not sufficient. And so we finally, broken by the law, um, uh, broken by the law and looking to be redeemed from death, look to the one who says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Gosh, that's uh, that'll do it. Yeah. So then you come to Second uh, Peter, and uh, Peter tells us about the experience in the cloud. Yeah, I mean, so chronologically, these passages, if you read them in the order in which they're written, it'd be Exodus first, um, or in terms of not when they're written, but when the events happen. Then the next thing you'd read is Matthew. So Moses on the mountain with God, and then Jesus and Peter on the mountain. Uh, and with then Moses. You, and then, with Moses. And then the last thing you would get is um, this Second Peter reading where he's, or sorry, uh, yeah, Second Peter reading where he's talking about this experience. So this is Peter describing after the fact, and he's talking about two things. Um, he is talking about when he uh, heard the father say to the son, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased, uh, which is what God says to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's also what he said at his baptism. So we kind of should be remembering, where have we heard these words before? Oh, yeah, we heard them at the beginning of Epiphany when John was baptizing Jesus mm-hmm. in the Jordan River. So this Sunday definitely serves as a bookend from the beginning to the end of, of Epiphany Tide. Um, but Peter is saying, we heard this voice come from heaven, and uh, and what Peter is basically trying to say is that Christianity is true. Uh, yeah, he talks right. about the fact that there were people that think maybe these are cleverly devised myths, uh, this story of Jesus. And there are people that still think that today, but Peter is doubling down and saying, no, I was there. Uh, I yeah. heard the voice, and then he says we were with him on the holy mountain. Um, and in, his, in his context, and in his context, there were all sorts of like crazy religions popping up. Yeah. Like if he was in Rome writing this letter or something like that, you had all sorts of like kind of insane little weird uh, religions going on. I've been reading... Um, Dominion yeah, uh, by Tom uh, Tom Harding, who's going to be uh, one of the speakers at Mockingbird. And man, with the way he talks about like the cult religions of Greece and Rome, I mean, you're just like, good God, this these are cleverly devised myths. Yeah. <laughs> who knew that Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, also was an incredible English historian? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's amazing. So yeah, he, these cleverly devised myths, I mean, there, there was the goddess Sibylle he talks about who... Uh, called men demanded to be ca- castration. castration, and they dress as women and beat themselves as they walked singing through the streets of Galatia. And um, that is these... a religion I would not follow. No, just I would for not. The record. Don't, don't sign me up. Um, <laughs> so the um, the thing that uh, people were saying about Christianity, oh, it's just another myth. It's just another story. And he's saying, no, we heard this voice. Mm, we were eyewitnesses, and th- the reason this matters, so there's some people who are going to use this as sort of an apologetic text, a way to defend Christianity, which is important, but that's not where it connects with people's uh, real pastoral needs. Um, 
uh, there are people in my office all the time who are talking about, who tell me about how they've sort of lost their faith or it used to be strong and now it's very weak and it used to burn brightly and now it's very dim. And uh, many people were coming out of a place where they felt like their feelings about God, the the warmth or the heat of their affections uh, is what determined how close they were to Christ. Um that if they were really committed, they would never question. They would always have strong feelings. They would mm. be excited to be in church, excited to be worshiping God. They'd be excited to read their Bible. And they're just not now. And they there's been some sort of drop-off in their emotional religious life. And so they feel like they're kind of lost. And what mm. Peter is telling us here is that um, this, this story about Jesus happened historically. It's been confirmed. Um, and it is a lamp shining in a dark place. It is, it is uh, true. Regardless of what your emotions are doing, regardless of how um, your life is right now, um, this happened. The voice came from heaven and said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased, And which means that he was able to accomplish all that he said, the, the defeat of sin and death and the devil, which means that even if you're having a bad day, bad week, bad month, bad year, if your emotions are just on the floor or in the basement, if your faith is feeling cold and uh, weak, uh, then... Uh, it's okay because this is a true mm. thing that happened that is that your emotions up or down whether you're awake or asleep Jesus loves you he has saved you it's a done deal um, and that voice came from heaven and said those words to Jesus and that's why this matters come on preach it I will um yeah I agree with you I, I run into the same thing because we have a lot of uh, folks from below the Mason Dixon line who make their way to New York and uh and they have a Morris Albert approach to Christianity. You know that great song, Feelings. Yeah. Nothing more than feelings. feelings. And um, uh, uh, yeah, that is not the approach that St. Peter is talking about here um, at all. And instead, he says, you know, we ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on earth and uh, on the holy mountain. So like what they're talking about here is history. And so, and then he says, so we have this prophetic message more fully confirmed. Okay, all that we've been, all that we've received is um, like from the Old Testament is now more fully confirmed. All that the law was pointing to, which is Elijah, all that the pro- all that the law that was pointed, which is uh, Moses, and then all that the prophets, which were pointing to, which is Elijah, have now been fully confirmed in the beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. This light now is shining all the more brightly because now it's not just for a certain people. Now it's just not con- con- uh, confined to a moment in history, but now it's for all people everywhere. And so uh, this is the this is the real power of the uh, thing. And we're not talking about feelings. We're talking about prophecy, not come about by human will, but by the very word of God when the Holy Spirit moves through people mm. to speak. Do it, yeah. And so now at the end of... Hey- so that's that's the power of your job as a preacher too, because you're part of that. We're taking yeah. not cleverly devised myths, but the very things that the apostles saw. And our job now, moved by the Spirit, is to proclaim that. To be the lamp give, shining in the dark place. You bet, and assure everybody that this is a lot more than feelings. This is facts, baby. Yeah, and now it does connect to feelings, and there is a response that happens. He says in verse 19, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Mm, And that is heart language. But it it comes as a response to hearing the message for Mm. you. Uh, and that's what your job is as a preacher. Yeah. there. Uh, Dave and I did an article a long time ago about the, 
about the ob- how th- when the gospel is actually objective. You and David Spade has- wrote an article. Da- David Zoll, uh, yeah, man. Okay, okay. So, um, but uh, the um, when the, go- the objective go- when the gospel is objective, it has the power to speak profoundly to your subjectivity. Me talking about my feelings and my experience all the time, Mm. um, you know, that we can relate to that for a little bit, but that's fleeting. But the objective truth that the Son of God has come to die for you and to rise for you and come again for you, and this just isn't Jake's opinion, This uh, this is real prophetic word and prophetic fulfillment. Boy, that Coupled with the Holy Spirit, man, that'll zap your subjective heart right then and there, <laughs> like a like a laser beam uh, fired like by a laser beam, but not fired by a stormtrooper because they couldn't mm. hit the broadside of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> All right, so Matthew seventeen. So ba- first. Peter has been St. Peter telling us about this experience, and I sort of imagine the screen going all wavy, and now like, let's roll the clip, or let's let's go to the flashback. Mm. Let's see. So Peter's told us the story, but now we're gonna see what actually happened. Let's roll the tape. Mm. And yeah. so this is Matthew 17, um, and uh, it is true that Jesus, like we're now basically halfway through, a little more than halfway through the Gospel of Matthew at this point, and the going down from the Mount of Transfiguration is really going to begin the events of kind of his ultimate trip to, to the cross. To so the cross, he, he, he's kind of downhill from here, which, you know, makes sense because we're about to next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent, which is going to be us, you know, preparing um, to focus on on those uh, those days of Jesus's ministry. But here, this yeah. is the, this is the high point before the valley. This is the 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 crowning moment. So they go. So Peter, James, and John uh, go up by high mountain. It doesn't name the mountain. You can go to Israel and they'll tell you which mountain it was. There's some disagreements about whether it was Mount Tabor or whatever. But um, this is uh, James and John, who were kind of Jesus's some of his right-hand dudes with Peter. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is the the trio, kind of the core circle of trust people. They go up there on the mountain, uh, and it says he's transfigured before them. His face is shining like the sun. Uh, Matthew is like grasping at words here to try to talk about how blindingly bright this was. This is like a nuclear explosion where you had to wear those really thick, 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 dark sunglasses. And we get Moses and and Elijah there next to him. Uh, And Peter says, let's Let's stay here. Let's make dwellings or booths to house you. One Moses, one from Elijah, and one for Jesus. Now, what this was happening here is Jesus is revealing his glory to them. And Peter's like, finally, none of this Galilean carpenter fisherman bit. Like, we have been wanting Jesus to take off the disguise, uh, be like divine Rambo, and come out and sort of... uh, and be king and kick out the Romans and do all the stuff that we think the Messiah is supposed to do and rule like David. So he's thinking that this is this is what's going to happen. So he's sort of saying we should stay up here. Let's get it a little bit more permanent, um, and and we can now rule. We can be in charge. Us with us three with you three, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And the f- the fatal error that he makes here um, is Peter thinks that Moses and Jesus and Elijah are all sort of on the same plane that you know because Moses was the lawgiver Elijah was like the law um, 
promoter. He's the like, prophet. He's, the, he's prophet. the prophet. He's the yeah. one that says, Moses gave you the law. You're not doing it. Now I'm going to remind you to do it and tell you to do it and tell you if you don't do it, what the bad stuff is going to happen to you. And so to say that let's make dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah will all be up here on the mountain. It'll be great. He's sort of almost making this equality like the same message. And what the big message here is that that is actually not right because the God who speaks from heaven, the Father who speaks from heaven, does not say... This is my son and Moses and the prophet, and they're all great, and you should listen to all of them, and their message is basically the same. Just be good people and follow the rules. That's not what happens. He says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And you can almost imagine Moses and Elijah standing right there like, hey, what about us? You know, we're standing right here. Shouldn't they listen to us? But no, God, the Father, says, this is my son. Listen to him. So it's a major statement about the uniqueness and power and singularity of Jesus Christ uh, as compared to no. Moses and Elijah. There's a, there. I mean, there is so much going on with those, Peter wanting to lay those booths down. And who doesn't want to get caught up in a moment? You yeah. know what I mean? Um, like, I mean... I love that caught up in being caught up in spiritual moments and things like that. And you just want to, dang, how can we put that in a bottle? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was one of the problems with uh, Charles Finney's lecture on revival. This is, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff, it tries to bottle it up and how can we recreate it? And uh, um, the other thing, too, is the concept. Here they are on top of the mountain and um, and setting these booths up where they will not only rain from but rest from, like booths are intended to rest. And it's at this moment then that like the clouds overcome and uh, there is only one who remains, <laughs> you know? And uh, the truth is, is that you will not find rest in Moses. Uh, you will not find rest in Elijah. And as a matter of fact, they were resting by faith in, uh, in Jesus, you know what I mean? And so, uh, and this is ultimately where we find our rest as well. And um, is uh, in that booth that is that is Jesus. Mm. He doesn't need a booth because he's the ultimate booth. And where this hits your people, where the rubber hits the road right now, because like like I said, we're all looking for like kind of spiritual highs and cleverly devised myths and experiences and all of this. But the truth is, is that um, this is simply a preview of the glory that is to come. The transfiguration is like kind of like what's going to start coming out in the next couple of months, all the big summer hit previews. <laughs> this is a preview of what's to come. Uh, God in all of his Jesus and all of his glory. And, uh, and uh, that glory is going to be shared with you. But right now, man, it is hidden. And you have the truth of the gospel given to you when you preach to your people and assure them of this truth and that it's rooted in history, you can have the truth and the power of the gospel. It comes to you hidden in like water and in bread and wine. And uh, mark my words, um, this is no different. I mean, it's glory is hidden, uh, Jesus is hidden, but nonetheless, the same power of his death and resurrection comes to you in these means to assure you that this preview is actually going to happen. Yep. And and uh, what's wonderful here is the contrast with the Exodus passage where mm. you had the cloud and the devouring fire on the mountain. Everybody was scared. And that's the same reaction that Peter, James, and John have. They hear the voice of God and they fall to the ground in terror. It says they were overcome. Mm. I mean, this is a level of fear 
um, that maybe um, you you have experienced in your life if you actually thought you were going to die. If you thought you were going to die and go to hell, like this is your life passing through your eyes, terror. Um, and uh, and there they are. And, the, and they, they would have been thinking about Exodus. They would have been thinking about that fire on the mountain. They know that in, in Jewish thought, in Israel, you go up a mountain to meet God. So there they are. And not only does Jesus get transfigured, Moses and Elijah, that this is incredible. There's a cloud. They know that the cloud always means the presence of God the Father because they've read Exodus 24. They know that passage. And so they're in the presence of God. They hear God's voice. And they are terrified. And Jesus' response is so perfect and so absolutely who Jesus is. And this is um, this is the revelation that he, he comes and he touches them. There's this incredible mm. compassion. And he says what he always says throughout the scripture is over and over and over. Jesus' broken record. He says, do not be afraid. He says, get up and That's do right. not be afraid. And so this, right. everybody comes to God. And like as we said in the beginning, you want people to, we want to recapture some of that holy fear of God and his majesty and his power and his complete otherness and the fact that we are finite and he's infinite and we don't understand him and uh, mm. his call to holiness is real and we've all fallen short. Yes, begin there, but look at what it happens when God comes incarnate and he shows up with people who are terrified, these sinners on the top of the mountain. He doesn't blast them. He shows them his power. He reminds them of the law and the prophets with Moses and Elijah. But then when they fall down terrified, he says, get up and do not be afraid. And he mm. touches them. There's this, inc and that's an incredible yeah. thing. And so for your congregation, this is where you want to end that uh, he, he shows this compassion. And even that, uh, you know, it's not enough because when he, the, what he's going to do when he comes down from this mountain is he's going to go die. And he even that's says, right. don't tell anybody until the son of man has been raised from the dead. So he knows even in verse nine here, what he is going to do. Come um, on. And so, so that I mean, that's this is where you got to go. You start with the law, you end with the gospel. You start with the fear and the terror and the judgment, uh, which is rightfully all of ours. Um, but then you see God's response, which is He touches you and, with warmth and compassion and says, "Get up and do not be afraid." Yeah. And this is because this is my beloved Son. Yeah. Um, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased, and uh, this beloved Son has come to save you. And uh, you know, and when you realize what you're being saved from, it's not smoking, dancing, and chewing, you know what I mean? None of that, but that you're being saved from a truly holy God. Um, well, that is such great news, and you need not be afraid, because Jesus is your mediator and your only advocate. So you saying I can keep uh, dipping snuff, and that's, is that what you're saying, Jake? Uh, dip snuff all you'd like, and then throw yourself on the mercy of God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's a perfect thing to end as we go into uh, Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent. God bless everyone. And that'll preach this uh, week's episode brought to you by Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.